for Thursday, December 2nd. It's the early word from the WNYC Newsroom. Hi there, I'm Isaac Davey Aronson with a look at this morning's top news the day ahead and reporting highlights from the WNYC News team. Coming up, Ilya Merritt sits down with Environmental Protection Agency Administrator Lisa Jackson to talk, among other things, bed bugs. We start with this morning's top headlines just ahead. The Early Word is a production of WNYC Radio. You can support this podcast by making a donation at WNYC.org, where you can also get the latest updates on this morning's headlines on the news page. Three people are dead from yesterday's storm that brought high winds and heavy rain to the East Coast. There were no major injuries reported in New York, but the bitter conditions closed the Statue of Liberty, delayed flights up to five hours, and disrupted train service during the evening rush. Thousands were without power in the Mid-Atlantic region. All the transit issues were expected to be resolved by this morning. Two teenagers, once thought to be perpetrators of a brutal anti-gay attack in the Bronx in October, now appear to be named as victims. WNYC's Elsa Chang was at State Supreme Court in the Bronx for arraignments. Until now, investigators have maintained there were four victims that night, two men and two teenagers. But the grand jury has named two new victims, Brian Almonte and Brian Cepeda. Those are the same names of two of the defendants originally charged in the case and later released, though prosecutors have not confirmed they are the same people. The indictment says El Monte was assaulted that night, while Cepeda was threatened with a pair of pliers. The four other victims were allegedly attacked with a can, a stick, a pipe, a bat, and a lit cigarette. The defendants are facing 75 counts total, including gang assault, sexual abuse, robbery, and burglary. Several offenses have been charged as hate crimes, and the most serious counts each carry a maximum of 25 years in prison. Defense lawyers maintain their clients are innocent. For WNYC, I'm Elsa Chang. Dozens of off-track betting parlors across New York City are slated to close tomorrow. The board of NYCOTB voted to shut down the betting corporation after the state Senate failed to pass rescue legislation on Monday. As a consequence, about 1,000 OTB employees will lose their jobs, according to one frustrated board member, David Kornstein. It's terrible because 32 damn guys and women can't come back to Albany and vote on this. And I urge them to do so. 32 is the number of votes needed in the Senate to pass Governor Patterson's plan to make OTB solvent again. Senators said the governor didn't give them enough time to review the proposal. OTB takes in about a billion dollars a year but actually loses money because of its complex revenue-sharing formula. Democratic senators from New York and New Jersey are pushing hard to get the votes they need to pass the James Zadroga 9-11 Health and Compensation Bill. It's named after an NYPD officer who died of respiratory disease after being at ground zero following the disaster. The measure would compensate first responders like Zadroga, but as WNYC's Fred Mogul tells us, a lot of downtown residents, workers, and others who fell ill after the Twin Towers collapsed could also benefit. Now, any number of people who continue to be injured or who've subsequently come up with medical problems, they could be compensated as well. But they would have to prove that. Uh, They'd have to prove uh, they were there in a specific time frame, and they would have to prove that their health conditions were linked to the World Trade Center events. WNYC's Fred Mogul, opponents of the Zadroga bill say it costs too much and there's potential for fraudulent claims. Plus, Senate Republicans have pledged to filibuster all legislation until the expiring Bush tax cuts are extended. Plans to build a new rail tunnel under the Hudson River are dead, but the dispute over who pays for the initial work on the project is very much alive. 
WNYC's Jim O'Grady has more. New Jersey Governor Christie says he'll announce today which Washington, D.C. law firm gets to represent the state's challenge to a collection letter from the Federal Transit Administration. The agency seeks $271 million in reimbursement for early work on the tunnel, known as Access to the Region's Core, or ARC. The letter demands the money by December 24th. An FTA spokesperson argues the law is on their side because New Jersey Transit signed a work agreement to pay back the money if ARC was canceled. A spokesman for New Jersey Senator Frank Lautenberg says the senator is trying to get the U.S. Department of Transportation to reduce the amount of money New Jersey taxpayers would owe as a result of what he calls Christie's disastrous decision to cancel the project. For WNYC, I'm Jim O'Grady. Until Governor Christie killed it, the ARC Tunnel had been the nation's largest public works project. For more on the issue, visit transportationnation.org. Taking a look at today's calendar, the House is scheduled to vote today on whether to censure Harlem Democrat Charles Rangel, who was convicted by a House panel of violating House ethics rules. Rangel's been engaged in a last-ditch lobbying effort of his colleagues to vote against the punishment. Also in Congress, the Senate Armed Services Committee hears testimony on the Pentagon study about ending the Don't Ask, Don't Tell ban on gays serving openly in the military. President Obama today meets with newly elected governors before hosting a Hanukkah reception with the First Lady at the White House. Economic reports today include weekly unemployment claims, retail sales, and pending home sales for October. In New York, Mayor Bloomberg and other officials at City Hall receive five Toyota Prius plug-in hybrids, a donation to the city from the car company. A coalition opposing the appointment of media executive Kathy Black as city schools chancellor is encouraging teachers, parents, and students to wear red today in protest. And finally, NASA will hold a news conference this afternoon to, according to its press release, discuss an astrobiology finding that will impact the search for evidence of extraterrestrial life. That's all it says. Maybe they've discovered aliens. Who knows? Oh, I... Never thought our first close encounter would come by a press conference. New Jersey Governor Chris Christie caused a stir last month when he expressed doubts about climate change. Asked whether human activity is the reason the planet is getting warmer, Christie said, quote, I would say at this point that has to be proven, and I'm a little skeptical about it. Well, one confirmed non-skeptic is Lisa Jackson, President Obama's Environmental Protection Agency administrator. She was also New Jersey's chief environmental official under then-Governor John Corzine. On the occasion of the EPA's 40th anniversary, WNYC's Ilya Merritt sat down with Jackson, and he began by asking whether she'd made any effort to turn Governor Christie into a climate change believer. I have not spoken to Governor Christie. Does it concern you that skepticism about climate change seems to be becoming a, a mainstream view in one of our two main political parties? Well, I, I think that there will be opportunity in the coming year for scientists to have the, the, the stage. And I think that's a really important moment for Americans and for scientists. Um, I was at the National Academy of Sciences uh, just yesterday, and I think and argued there that we should all, as scientists, be embracing the opportunities, whether it's in a hearing or in media, to talk to the American people about what these emissions are, why we know CO2 is building up in our atmosphere, how many scientists, and it's an overwhelming consensus of scientists around the world who believe that the buildup of those gases in the atmosphere is changing our climate. 
if you believe the hype, uh, New York City is in the grips of a bed bug epidemic. And I know that some of the chemicals that were formerly used to treat bed bugs uh, were banned by the EPA, I think about a decade or so ago. And I know that one city in Ohio had asked for a variance to use some of those chemicals again. Uh, the EPA rejected that particular claim, and I won't ask you to comment on that particular claim. But is it, as a philosophical matter, is it conceivable that the EPA could, in some cases, make some kind of allowance to help cities get this problem under control by using chemicals that, that normally should not be used in, in homes or in, you know, movie theaters? Well, for, first let me say that EPA and the, the scientists at EPA who work on regulation of pesticides are very sympathetic to the fact that this is a real problem, that it's a, a real nuisance. You know, we're lucky. Bed bugs don't carry disease. But if you have to sleep in a bed and worry about being bitten all night, it it sort of messes with your mind, right? And we get that. The problem is you want to make sure you don't come up with a cure that's actually worse than the disease. Propoxor, the pesticide that some people have asked to use, is toxic for children. And so to think about using that pesticide in and around the bedrooms, the places where children are going to sleep, and it's one application that we'd be weighing that against. The solution here is something, you know, I was talking to my mom the other day and I was asking her about bed bugs when it was much more of a problem. It's going to end up being that we all have to once again consider bed bugs in our, our daily hygiene and think about using other pesticides. And there are some that can be used. They just usually require more than one treatment. It's been observed that big environmental legislation tends to get passed when Republicans are president the party sometimes seen as, as less of a friend of the environmental movement. I'm thinking of the establishment of the EPA 40 years ago with President Richard Nixon, the Safe Drinking Water Act with President Ford, the Oil Pollution Control Act in 1990 with uh, the first President Bush. Why do you think that is? And can we expect big environmental legislation from the Obama administration? Well, I'd like to, to say that the environment is really a nonpartisan issue. It shouldn't be partisan. It shouldn't be politicized. It should be uh, and has always been, any big environmental law has been the result of the American people. It's very much a grassroots movement. Uh, I think the next big piece of legislation may well be toxic chemicals because of the grassroots fervor and concern amongst parents, amongst mothers, amongst public health professionals about the number of toxic chemicals that are showing up in our bodies, not only in our bodies, but in our children's bodies, sometimes even uh, before they're born. Lisa Jackson, administrator of the Environmental Protection Agency. She spoke with WNYC's Elia Meritz. And there's just time for the gig alert, our look at tonight's music scene. Christine Oman, who's half Swedish and half Danish, delivers her dichotomous blend of dreamy folk and raw distortion at Scandinavia House in Murray Hill tonight. Her performances include self-produced projections of 1930s black-and-white films that flicker behind her near-performance-art-level dance moves, you can download this track, Circles, for free on our culture page. Just click on culture at wnyc.org. You can learn more about all the stories you heard here, download more podcasts, and go in-depth with our reporters on the news blog. 
It's all at our website, WNYC.org. You can hear us there 24 hours a day, as well as on the air at 93.9 FM and AM820. The Early Word is a production of the WNYC Newsroom, where the managing editor is Karen Frillman, the executive producer is Giselle Regatau, the news editor is Julianne Welby, the economics editor is Charlie Herman, our arts and culture maven is Abby Fentress Swanson, WNYC's senior executive producer for news is John Keefe. The Early Word is produced by me. From the WNYC Newsroom, I'm Isaac Davy Aronson. Have a great day.